Well, good morning. How are we? Are we good? Good. Are you ready for the Word? Awesome. So am I. Well, today we are starting a new series called Love isn't blind. Love isn't blind. Now I know there may be some of you here that strongly disagree with that statement as you look over at your partner or that family member, but the purpose of this series is for us to discover and understand that God has called each of us to be intentional with our relationships, to not just blindly assume that our friendships and marriages will just all fall into place on their own, but to recognise that relationships take work. And when it comes to the people in our world, we need to be deliberate and intentional. And so in this six-part series, yes, I said six-part series, we will be looking at a number of different relationships. Next week, Pastor Sean's going to be speaking into our relationship with God. The following week, we'll be talking about our relationship with our family and then our community and so on. But this week, I have the privilege of unpacking our relationship with the church. But before we begin, why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You so much for who You are. Lord, we thank You that we can come into Your house and dwell here and gaze upon Your beauty and Your majesty. And Lord, I pray that as the Word is spoken today, as as we open up the Word, Lord, let there be a divine encounter. Holy Spirit, I pray that You fill us afresh, fill us with revelation. Lord, fill us to overflow as You bring Breathe life into our soul. Lord, Your Word does not return void. And so as it goes forth, I just ask for Your grace and Your wisdom and Your insight. Come and do what only You can do. In Your mighty Name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, has anybody ever had that moment where you've realised that your family isn't like every other family? You know, maybe it's the way you interact with each other or maybe it's a tradition that your family had and you didn't realise it was abnormal until you went to somebody else's house and realised it most definitely wasn't normal. Well, I was reading an article the other day on various family traditions And one family would have this game called Hide Justin, the Hide Justin game. And someone in their family would literally hide a postcard of Justin Timberlake and the rest of the family would have to go and find it. And this was a regular game. It was a regular tradition in their household. Another family never wanted to let go of their pets. And so when they would have a pet pass away, they would go and get taxidermy and they would put the stuffed animal up as a monument in their house or they would turn the deceased pet into a blanket or a cushion. One family that I read about was so obsessed with dental hygiene that they made their children, when brushing their teeth, brush their tongue, which I do as well, but so much so that unless they were somewhat choking or their eyes weren't watering, then their mouth wasn't clean enough. And it wasn't until one of the children grew up and got married that her husband said to her every time she was brushing her teeth, honey, are you okay, darling? That just that just doesn't look safe. And it was in that moment that she realised her family wasn't like other families. 
You see, we've all come from different backgrounds. We have different upbringings and unique experiences. So so the way we relate and interact with each other, how we act and what we do won't always be the same as other people. Every family is different. And this morning, there is one particular family, and you could say it's quite different, that I want us to focus on. And this family is what we know today as the church. Not the church as a building, not the church as a place, but the church as a people, you and I. You see, in the Bible, there are five primary images that depict the church, a body, a bride, a temple, a lampstand and a family. That is the children of God. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, why don't you turn with me to Romans 8? Otherwise it will come up on the screen. We'll start at verse 14. Paul writes, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. The Apostle Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, teaching them a foundational truth about their identity. If they had received the Spirit of God and placed their faith in Jesus and they identified as sons and daughters of God, they were brought into His family. Now this concept back in Paul's day was radical. The Roman church was a part of a traditional culture. So to say that someone wasn't biolog- who wasn't biologically related to you was your brother and sister sister was a massive deal. It was a huge statement. And yet today we so easily call someone brother, hey bro or hey sister. But I wonder if we truly understand the depth and the gravity of what that means. Many of you may be aware that I'm an only child and growing up, I always wanted siblings. I always wanted brothers and sisters and maybe that's why I've been so quick to give Archer a sibling. We have a baby girl due in November that we are very excited about. But yes, <laughs> but growing up, I always wanted brothers and sisters and I would look at my friends playing with their siblings and interacting with their siblings and I just thought, oh, that's just what I want. And so one day I actually got an A4 piece of paper and I wrote on it, make a baby tonight and then I put it on my parents' door. This is when I was really little. I didn't know how babies were made. I just knew it was something to do with mum and dad and happened in the bedroom and so I put it on the bedroom door. Lo and behold, that sign never worked. And eventually I came to terms with the fact that my parents weren't having any more children. But when I was 16 years old, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And by the time I was 21, my dad passed away. I didn't have any brothers or sisters and it was just my mum and I. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is not how I envisioned my life. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and He said, Beck, I am giving you a bigger family than you could ever imagine. And I knew in that moment that it was the church, that God was giving me a group of people 
people that I was able to call my brothers and sisters. And that revelation changed the way I viewed the church and it changed the way I lived my life. You see, as a Christian, not only are you a son or daughter of God, not only are you a co-heir with Christ, but you are a part of a family. And not just any family, and this is what I'm gonna highlight today, we are a part of a covenant family. Now I know the word covenant isn't used very often these days and can some, sound somewhat strange or old fashioned, but it is a word full of depth. And to be honest, I never understood the gravity and the depth of the word covenant until I started officiating weddings, where I saw two people coming together in covenant, forming a union for the rest of their life. And all through the Bible, we see God making covenants with His people. A covenant is simply means an agreement. Often it is an agreement between two parties for the purpose of creating and maintaining a successful relationship. In the Old Testament, one of the most famous covenants is the Mosaic Covenant that God made with Moses and the people of Israel. He promised the Israelites to obey, uh, sorry, He promised the Israelites if, if, if they would just obey the law, then they would become a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a chosen people. But the only issue was that the Israelites could never attain to the law. No matter how many animal sacrifices they would offer, their sin was still present, which meant they couldn't get close to God. They couldn't fully access Him. They were somewhat separated. But God never wanted to be separated from His people. And so He said, that's it. I am making a new covenant. A day will come where I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. In other words, they will all be close to me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ went to a cross and He established and inaugurated a new covenant. He became the ultimate sacrifice. Far above any animal, He completely removed our sin. He didn't hide it. He didn't cover it up. He completely removed it and enabled us to be reconciled with God, no longer separated, but close enough, so close, in fact, that we are called daughters and sons, that we are able to call God our Heavenly Father. This is the covenant God has made with you and I. It was secure by His blood and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is why Romans 8 says, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership, if that's a word. This morning, can I submit to you that the reason why there are many of us or some of us in the church that are not intentionally and deliberately growing in our relationship with one another is because we have forgotten our identity as sons and daughters. We've forgotten that we are a family, that the person sitting next to your left and your right is your brother or your sister. You know, during the service, we do minute to mingle and I know the introverts hate it, but do you know why we do it? We do it so that we can meet our brothers and sisters so that we can say hello, maybe even give them a hug and encourage them and be reminded that we are a family and God is calling us to be in relationship with one another. 
I don't know about you, but when I look at this society, it can be incredibly individualistic, so focused on ourselves. And if we're not careful, we as the church can turn the language of God's covenant into I will be your God and you will be my person. Hello, God never said that. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's never been singular. It's always been plural. It's always been about community and family. And if you're going to hear one thing today, then I want you to hear this. When we step into a covenant relationship with God, we automatically step into covenant relationship with each other. I mean, look at the Last Supper. That very act brought the disciples into covenant relationship with Jesus. He broke the bread and He gave it to them. He then got the cup and said, this is my blood of the covenant. And He passed it around for them to drink. Now the disciples didn't just share in that covenant, the blood of the covenant with Jesus. They shared it with each other, meaning that the disciples in that moment were brought into covenant relationship with one another. They became a covenant family. Family. Now, when I started to dig a little deeper into this concept of covenant, I couldn't help but notice there was a lot of talk of blood. And I don't do so well with blood. I fainted from accidentally stabbing my hand um, whilst cutting an avocado. And so you can imagine my response when reading all about the various covenants. But one covenant in particular that I do want to share with you is found in old Jewish tradition when a man or woman would get married. And they would stand at the altar in front of the priest and the priest would grab the hand of the groom and cut it down the middle with a knife so it was bleeding. And then he would grab the hand of the, the bride and he would cut it down the middle as well. To, and so they were standing there with bleeding hands and then he would grab their hands and bind them together. He would tie them together. That's actually where we get the saying to tie the knot from. It gives it a whole new meaning. But he, they would tie, he would tie the hands together and that would basically symbolise that they were saying, till death do us part. Like it was a significant covenant. And in some wedding ceremonies, and we see this in the Bible, they would take an animal and cut it into pieces. Now, I'm so sorry if you're a vegetarian here or you're a vegan, but this is in the Bible in the Old Testament. And they would put the pieces on the floor and the bride and groom would begin to walk through these pieces, pretty much saying, may it be done to me as it has been done to this animal, should I ever walk out on this covenant I am making with you? This is no small thing. And the covenant that God chose to enter into with us is a blood covenant. He gave His Son. Had there been no blood flow on that day, we would not be standing here proclaiming the good news of the Gospel. And this is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with not only Him, but with each other. It's a blood covenant kind of relationship. But here's the thing. Many of us in the church are allowing the world to define what our relationships look like. You see, the world treats relationships like a contract, not a covenant. The world treats relationships like a contract and not a covenant. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. Contracts are based on mutual distrust. In other words, a covenant is made to last, whereas a contract is made to be broken. Contracts are about exchanging one good for another. But the moment someone doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, it's done. The contract is cancelled and broken. 
We see this in our work relationships all the time. Someone disagrees with another colleague, they get offended, that person got a promotion and done. Relationship ended. Our universities and our schools, friendships being formed in class. And yet the moment someone starts to have a different opinion or starts to have different interests or someone says something rude or something that offended them, the friendship ends. They just drop the friendship overnight. Cancel culture, people cancelling friendships over one issue or one fight. Now you might be thinking, oh, that's just a young mentality. You know, they're just young. But we can so often bring that mentality into the church. This contract mentality, one disagreement, one complaint, one issue, I'm out. I'm finding a new family. The worship team sing too loud. Oh, people started praying in tongues and it made me feel uncomfortable. Someone in my life group has a different interpretation of Scripture or a different political view. That person was rude to me. The pastor offended me. And we just get up and we leave. Oh my goodness, how many times has your biological family offended you? Unless you come from a family of angels, there are times when your family family offends you. Now, do you just get up and leave? No, because you are blood related. Well, guess what? The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we were brought into a family and we became blood related. And when times get tough, we don't just get up and leave. And can I say, if there was ever a time that we had to fight for unity, not uniformity, but unity, it is now. You see, a contract is made to be broken, but a covenant is made to last. Even if someone doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, you still move forward and you continue doing what you agreed upon. You know, it's actually easier to fight in covenant. It's easier to disagree in covenant. When Jackson and I were dating, this was before we were married, we would argue like cat and dog, probably still do today. But you know, you can ignore Instagram. Instagram's just, I love you, you're so amazing. But the reality is there are arguments and there are disagreements. And and I remember doing pre-marriage counselling, Jackson and I were sitting there and the counsellor was explaining to us that, you know, there's usually two types of people in an argument. There is a rhino and a porcupine. The rhino is the one that sort of just lets loose, says how they're feeling and goes for it. Whereas the porcupine shrinks back, curls up, silent treatment and just puts the spikes out. And so she said to Jackson, so, so what do you think Rebecca is? And he said, oh, definitely a rhino. And then she asked me, she said, oh, and so what do you think Jackson is? And I said, definitely a rhino. And she said, oh, we have two rhinos. And you could just see the alarm in her eyes because usually in a relationship you have a rhino and a porcupine, but no, we are both rhinos. But you know, when we would argue, when we were dating, there was always something in the back of our heads that there was an out. You know, we could leave. We hadn't said our vows yet. We weren't in covenant. But the moment we became, we got married and we said our vows and we stepped into covenant. We were making a decision that there was no out anymore. And so when we would argue, we had to sort something out. We had to come to a solution and a resolution for better or for worse. There was no leaving, even if it meant compromise, even if it meant assuming some kind of loss, we had to work it out. 
Church, we need to be a family that says, I am in this for the long haul. I may get offended at times. I may get hurt and annoyed, but I'm sticking this out, even if it means confrontation, even if it means compromise, and even if it means going out of my way and being inconvenienced for someone else. A covenant will always keep the interests of others in mind, whereas a contract keeps personal interests and convenience in mind. A contract will always be about what's in it for the individual, not about what the individual can do for the other person. This is called individualism, as I mentioned earlier. It's all about the individual and what they can get. And this way of thinking is so prevalent in our Western culture. We're seeing it today when people are applying for jobs even with the Defence Force, people signing up for the Army, saying, well, what can the Army do for me? What benefits am I going to get? What's in it for me? Rather than, I just want to serve my country. I just want to help defend my nation. And if we're not careful, this same attitude can creep into the body of Christ. And we can have this heart posture that says, well, what can church do for me? What am I getting out of this service? What am I getting out of church? How is it benefiting my faith my journey rather than this heart that says, this is my family. I just want to grow with my family. I want to contribute to my family. I just want to love and serve my family and my community. Acts 2 talks about the early church and how they would devote themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship. And in verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now pause just for a second. Everything in common doesn't mean they all had the same personality and same interests and same views. What it means is that they all had Christ in common. And because they were in covenant relationship with Christ, they understood they were also in covenant relationship with each other. And this was crucial for spiritual transformation. Verse 45 says, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Their focus was entirely on the interests of others. It wasn't about themselves. It wasn't about what they could get from the community. It was about what they could give. They served one another. And you know what I love? I love looking around and seeing that we live this as a church. Take our creative team, for example. They didn't just rock up this morning and decide to sing a few songs. No, they have been rehearsing all week, if not more. Anu and Beck came to me a few weeks ago to talk about the worship set. They had been preparing in the background to lead you in worship. They were here before anyone else this morning and they don't do it out of selfish ambition. They don't do it so they can get something out of it. They do it because they love Jesus. They're hungering after Him and they're passionate about seeing us and people worship and step into the presence of God. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, for selfish ambition is rooted in flesh. And it is not those led by the flesh, but those that are led by the Spirit that are children of God. And this morning, my prayer is that we would be so filled with the Spirit of God that any flesh mentality, any quarrelling, any hostility, any division would just drop off in the Name of Jesus, would just be put to death in the Name of Jesus. And we would be so filled with the Spirit of God that rivers of living water would flow out of us. And we would be a covenant people marked by joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control and above all love. 
A covenant will always operate through love, whereas a contract will operate through judgment. When someone is in a contract relationship, they will be on the lookout to see if the other person is meeting the obligations of the contract, judging the other person's behaviour to see if they've met or breached the standards of the contract. Whereas covenant says it doesn't matter what the standard, it doesn't matter what you're going through, I still love you. Whatever is going on in your life, I am not judging you, I am loving you. You know, when I walked away from my faith for a number of years, I eventually came back and I recommitted my life to Jesus. But when I did, I was a mess. There were addictions and there were habits that I was still holding on to. In fact, I remember um, driving to a youth camp with my friends who happened to be the pastors at the time and they opened the glove box and found my cigarettes. And so, of course, they threw them out the window as that wouldn't have been a great example to the youth at the time. But when I was sort of, you know, coming back to Jesus and starting that walk, I never felt judged by my friends. I never felt judged by my pastors. I always felt loved to the point where I remember being so hungover on a Sunday morning in the city. I stunk like alcohol. I was holding my shoes. Yes, I was one of those girls. And I caught a taxi to church just to be there there that morning. Why? Because I felt part of the family. I didn't feel judged. I felt loved. And as a result, my life completely changed. How many people in your world right now, how many people in your life group or in this service just need someone to love them, just need you to love them? Now, don't get me wrong. My friends still spoke truth into my life. They still kept me accountable to the way of life Jesus was inviting me into. But it wasn't coming from a place of judgment. It was coming from a place of love. Judgment causes people to fear. Fear of getting it wrong, fear of stuffing up, fear of making another mistake. And maybe today that has been your experience and I am so sorry. It should have never been that way. For the Word of God says, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. When we're a son or a daughter of God, we do not have to live in fear. Even when we approach God, we don't have to fear punishment of not meeting His standards. Hello, none of us can meet His standards. That is why He sent Jesus to the cross. And on that cross, He met every standard and He met every requirement necessary. He paid the full penalty of our failures and our sins and He reconciled back us back to the Father where we can call our God, Abba, Father. Matthew 6 verse 9, our Father who art in heaven. Did you know the word, that word Father is only mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament, whereas the New Testament mentions it 245 times. If I could please have the band join me. When Jesus showed up on the pages of the New Testament, He came to reveal something that had never been revealed before. He came to reveal the Father. Everything that Jesus did on earth, every interaction, every action was a picture of the Father's love, the Father's love for humanity. You see, the solution to living a life free free from fear and free from fear of judgment is to understand the love of the Father. 1 John 
4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. What is love? John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid His life down for us. The ultimate display of the Father's love was when He sent His one and only Son to Calvary. When Jesus shed His blood on that cross and resurrected three days later, it was a public announcement to all of humanity that God loves us and He has established a new covenant, an everlasting covenant. And there is nothing that we can do that will cause Him to break it. God looks at you and He says, I love you. You are my Son. You are my daughter. It doesn't matter how hard you fall. It doesn't matter what your past is. No matter what is going on in your life, nothing you will do will cause me to break my covenant with you. It cannot, it will not ever be broken because it has been sealed by my Spirit. It has been secured by my blood. And I don't know about you, but I have given God so many reasons to leave. I have been unfaithful. I have not trusted Him. I have ignored Him. And yet the Word, He speaks over me and the Word He speaks over you says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I love you and I am your Father. The Heavenly Father's love is deeper than even a parent's love.